Hi, Royals fans. This is J.J. Piccolo. The University of Kansas Health System is the official health care provider of the Kansas City Royals. And gone! Trust the same experts who make the right call for the Royals and go to kansashealthsystem.com slash royals. I'm so stout. Look at me. <laughs> Sometimes I wish we could have our conversations we're having during the commercial break on the air, but then... But then I'd lose my job, so, you know. That's why we leave him off the air. Jake was asking me how my heart appointment went, and I said, I looked in there and said, I have a heart of a champion. You know, you know, you know what my cardiologist just said? Did what? say yesterday? EKG gave me a little exam. She goes, you got that dog in you. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting thing for the doctor to say. Yeah, cardiologist is going to us. Yeah. Right. I said, really? She, oh, yeah, you got the dog in you. I said, thank you, Doc. Appreciate that. And I know, I'm a cardiologist. Thanks, conf- thanks for confirming. That's what I suspected. <laughs> sure, you so, were at the yeah. <laughs> You know, like I go to the dentist to get my yeah. knee worked on, you know. That's exactly right. No, I've got a dentist appointment today with Dr. Hake at 2 o'clock. Hey, Dr. Hake. Hey there. Get that laughing gas ready. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> Can I come? Yeah. Let's uh, this is down the street. Uh, let's um, say hello. He doesn't know what he's walking into, but he's glad he's doing it. It's our college basketball insider from the Sporting News, Mike DeCourcy. Hello, Mike. How are you? Guys, I have no idea. Like, I, I wandered into. It's like when I went to. Uh, when I went to Germany for the 2006 World Cup, my wife and I, we walked into a pretzel shop, and the woman who uh, waited on us had no idea how to speak any English, and mm-hmm. and she had the most frightened look on her face, and that's kind of how I feel right. Right. You should. <laughs> uh, we got lots to talk about here, and so let's, uh, let's dig in. K-State, that was a, a must-win last night at home against West Virginia. And thankfully for the Wildcats, they got it done. They blew a huge lead and had to go to overtime again. Jerome Tang, remarkably, is 12-0 and in overtime as K-State head coach. They beat West Virginia 94-90. to uh, But now the rest of the schedule at Cincy, at Kansas, and then they finish off at home against Iowa State. And so you can tell us how much work uh, there is left to do for K-State to get back on the bubble or on the right side of the bubble and get into the tournament? Well, I think you have to consider any team that's in this to be on the bubble uh, because it, it, even though they're not they're not on my bracket or on the first four out, next four out list or whatever, they're active in this. I mean, there are teams in their neighborhood on, like, NC State, they're 73 in the net, the, the Wildcats. NC State, 77. That's not on the bubble. I mean, they're not in this. Uh, they are only in this to the extent that everyone is in it because they all can go into the conference tournaments, win the, their four or five games or whatever, and then get an automatic bid. But Kansas State is on the bubble. Now, what's, what's really ideal about their circumstance is that they have opportunity, and they need opportunity because they need uh, to polish up a resume that doesn't have enough success on it. But there's success available to them. There's the there's the Cincinnati game on the road. That would be a significant win. It would it would knock back Cincinnati. It probably I think Cincinnati's pr- pretty close to done. But I but much like 
much like the Wildcats, they still could do some special things and, and reactivate themselves. But if they if the Wildcats went to Cincinnati uh, and then and then won one of the next two, I mean they're right there. And then they'd probably have to do some damage in the Big Twelve tournament as well. But if they were able to win two of the three, they're in the picture clearly in the picture. And if they won all three, and I know that's a lot to say, but if they won all three, then they would be in in really good shape. I mean, and then it would be somewhat dependent on what others do and how many of the the Dayton's of the world don't win their conference tournaments, but I, I I like the fact that they have opportunity here. So, one of the things that uh, happened after the game last night was Jerome Tang uh, got on the students a little bit for not not being there, not not as much of a student turnout as he wanted, um, and he said, "Look." My coaching staff and I have basically been gone to every meeting at every fraternity house, and anytime anybody reaches out to us to be a part of the campus, we do it. Uh, we need you to show up because it's a ten to fifteen point swing. Some of the K State fans pushed back and said, "Hey, play better, and we'll we'll show up." How, what do you, what's your reaction when uh, when coaches uh, you know maybe sometimes have a have a go at their own fan base a little bit? You know, I, one of the things, Nate, that I think that what is misunderstood or, or not acknowledged in the expansion era. And this is your new norm. And if you don't, if you as a fan don't accept that, that this is what's possible, then I think college athletics is heading down a difficult path because you're just not like every year's not going to be 20 and five now. I mean, even at KU, uh, they're not doing that this year with, and I, and I understand there are reasons, but they've got, they've got, uh, uh, a national championship point guard, a power forward who started, who started now 60 games in his career, a center who's been an All-American in a different place and will be one this year in his current place, and they're not winning every game. I mean, this is what it is now, and so I, you know you don't have to feel like uh, that your that your team is going to go out and, like I said, go 20 and five or whatever in order to feel like it's relevant. I mean. They went into last night's game six and eight in the deepest league in college basketball. Now, how actually powerful the Big Twelve is is another question, but there's no question that it's deep in quality teams. And it wasn't like you're talking about West Virginia there, you know, that came in last night at four and ten. I mean, they came into that game at six and eight in the league. And so I, I can understand what Jerome is saying. I, it's not. This has not been a bad team, and it's not that they've been playing comically bad basketball and then occasionally winning a game. They've been in most of the games that they've played, so I understand his point. Um, I don't know if I, if I would have made it. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it is that you put yourself in a difficult position when you do that. But I, I totally understand what he's saying, and I think that college fans have to get used to this because. Look, the Big 12 is, is tough now. Okay, let's truck in Arizona and Utah and Colorado. And, how you know, is it going to get easier for everybody? No. No. <laughs> no it's going to be tougher, isn't it? I mean, this league's going to be it, – it's, it's hard to imagine this league's going to be even tougher than it was, but uh... – or that it is, but yeah, it's going to get even tougher. The other, uh, the other Big Twelve game that took place last night, Baylor gets a road win. They went at TCU, sixty-two to fifty-four. Uh, your reaction to uh, that result, Mike? 
Yeah, I, that was a big game for TCU and kind of disappointed that they weren't able to get it. But it does say uh, that that Baylor is one of those teams that's going to be in a protected seed. I, I don't have any doubt about that now. Uh, I, I had them as the, the three seed in my bracket. Um, you know, the, the opportunity that they had against Houston and not reacting well to that game at home uh, was – it was a little disappointing. I thought they were covered nicely, but I thought their first 12 or so minutes were fairly abysmal. And it was clear that they weren't ready mentally for what Houston brings. And you, and you, you can't make that mistake. You, you go in for, to play Houston, you have to be ready mentally for, for how they're going to play you. And Baylor didn't react well to that initially, but they did ultimately – uh, get that game back into a, a, a an overtime, and could have won it before overtime as well. So I, I think that I think Baylor's showing that they're they're young, but they're still dangerous, and and one of the teams in the league you're going to have four protected seats almost certainly in the league: Houston, Iowa State, KU, and Baylor. It's just a question of where they go and and how high they climb. So, Mike, I, th- I think we, we should take some time to give Houston their just due right now. They're, I mean, they're in a situation where they got Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Central Florida. If they take care of those games, then there's no chance Kansas could even catch them. The only team that could even have a chance to uh, to catch them would be Iowa State, and then they would need Kansas to win at, at Houston. So they're clearly in the driver's seat. They're in a great position to win the league outright in their first year in the league. And, look, they were ranked really highly the last couple of years. They've shown they can win games in the tournament. But I think a lot of people came in, and I, I'll put myself as one of them, that wondered, okay, when you get into the gauntlet of the Big 12, can you really do it week after week and game after game? And, and, and their answer so far has been completely yes. How impressive is what that team is doing, considering this is their first year taking a big step up in leagues? Well, remember, they didn't really – one of the things that's, uh, that's a little bit of a um, – uh, I, I, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame Kelvin Sampson uh, for doing it this way because he did know that he was going into a much stronger league and they were going to play, what, 20 games in the league or so. Or they're, they're going to play 18, so they're going to play 18 games in the league. Uh, and and it's you know how you know it's a great step up for them. So they did not really challenge themselves much in non-conference. At all, so that's a little bit of a concern there uh, about what, how they handled that. But what they've done in the league, and especially being able to go on the road to a place like Baylor and really dictate the, the, how the game is going to be played, I, I thought that was really impressive. And they've done that in multiple road venues in the Big Twelve. They started out a little slow on the road in the Big Twelve. I think they went to Iowa State early and and, and, and couldn't get that one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the trip to Allen was almost disastrous for them. I mean, it, it, but they recovered from immediately. It was, they, let, they, they, they showed that they knew how to put a loss, even a devastating loss, behind them and just went right back to being who they are. So I, I think Kelvin's a tremendous coach. I'm really glad, happy for him. I thought, he, I thought that um, the media didn't handle him fairly in the, in the Indiana episode. I, and, and I got a lot of heat for, for – uh, and it's funny, I got a lot of heat for just giving him a chance to have his say. 
Uh, and I'll never forget that. I got heat from the media for giving a chance for Kelvin to have a say after he had been just clobbered by the media for the better part of a year. And I gave him a chance to have his say, and I got roasted for it. I'll never forget that. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's really cool to see him get his chance to, to show what a truly great coach he is. I don't think there's any qualifiers for that. There's, he's a great coach. He's been to the Final Four multiple times at different programs, none of which is a blue blood. Um, he, he's fantastic, and, and I'm really happy for him. You know, I, you know, I don't think anything of the polls, but it, it, you know, it's just one more chance for him to do something that hasn't been done at his school for a very long time, and and to show people that, that it, it's you know, he don't let's not forget he got busted for phone calls, um, and and now you know now look what what's legal in college <laughs> sports. He got busted for phone calls. Yeah, that's one of the teams I'm going to root for in the NCAA tournament. I'd love to see Kelvin Sampson win a national championship. Um, all right, Mike, what about uh, tonight? Kansas will host BYU. Uh, Kansas uh, still alive, uh, chasing Iowa State and Houston, but uh, got to win this game. Uh, what about this matchup between BYU and Kansas? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I've not been really impressed by BYU, I, I, at least not to the degree that the uh, computers – Keep insisting they are great. Uh, you, you look at Ken Palm and and BYU still hanging around up there at uh, eighteen. That's a fall from when they were in the five or six range. I, I think you know it's hard to say for sure because you don't have Kevin McCuller. Uh, or, or I think I think Bill did say the other day that he was not expecting him to play tonight, but hopeful for later on. Um, I think that not having him certainly impacts, but Johnny Furphy becoming a significant offensive asset for for the Jayhawks has been really important. And, and on Saturday, one of the really cool things was being able to get, even though it wasn't a truckload of minutes. I mean, in a sense, you got you got 37 minutes plus 33 out of your bench um, it, it, because Timberlake had to play 33 minutes. And a month ago, man, that would have been like 33 minutes of what? And he was really good in a lot of ways against Texas. And and Parker Brown had a big play. And and McDowell was able to, you know, contribute. Uh, what people get consumed with bench scoring, that, that is the least important statistic that I've ever seen. Like, if I want to win bench scoring, I, I put Zach Eady on the bench to start the game and then put him out there in a minute, and I win bench scoring. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, but bench minutes are huge. How, how long can you trust your bench to make you at least as good or close to as good as you are with your, with your regular group or maybe enhance you in some ways? That's what it's all about, bench minutes. And they, like, like I said, they got 37 true bench minutes out of Jackson, McDowell, and Brown. But they really, it was really more because Timberlake had to come in from a color and play full time, and he was very good. I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at, Mike. When it comes to, uh, in addition to being very stopped up, I don't know if you can hear that, but <laughs> allergies are killing I hope me right you're okay. now. It, it, the uh, I don't know what the truth is with McCullers' knee, but for me, like, there's almost a blessing in the idea that 
you're not really so much playing for the Big 12 regular season title right now because to me it's like rest him up. Get him ready for the postseason. And in the meantime, let some of these other guys get some playing time and 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 maybe develop some confidence because if you've got a rested McCuller and just a bench that you trust a little bit more, I think that's a team that's a lot more dangerous in the postseason than the one that we saw the last few weeks where McCuller's out there playing on a banged-up knee and trying to you know scratch out victories. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, um, uh, without a doubt. Yes! Uh, there, look, there's not much to be lost. Uh, there's not much to be lost even by taking uh, one here or there, taking an L here or there now. Uh, they they want to hang on to a two seed, keep a one in play. Uh, it, it's still possible, um, unlikely, but possible that they could get there. But a two would be very significant. They'd start in Omaha. Uh, they probably would go to the West. And honestly, that's where you want to be, man. I mean, because uh, we've all seen it. Uh, Arizona is the least predictable uh, of all the teams in the in the. Uh, in, in the in the one seed category, that's currently in the one seed category, we know Houston's coming out. And, and first of all, you, it's highly you're not going to be in Houston's region anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, the, the bracket rules prevent that. So okay, so Purdue, you got to deal with Edie. Uh, that you may you may believe that you can conquer that challenge, but why bother with it until the, until you absolutely have to? Um, and UConn, which is I know that. KU beat them earlier in the year at home, but that's the that's the best qualified team, the best equipped team to win it all. So I'd much rather play Arizona, which has shown that it can lose at home to a Washington State, a solid, nice team, but not any, you know, not a great team. Uh, lost on the road at Stanford, uh, lost uh, has has lost uh, other Pac-12 games against teams that were not elite. Um, and so I, that's a, that's the team that I want to be. I want to be if I'm KU. I want to be in Omaha to start, which you get if you're a two seed. And I want to go to I, and I want to go west because that's where you're going one way or the other. You're either going there as a one or a two. So hang on to this two by continuing to play reasonably well. And like you said, building up the the, the reserve group. Uh, now that you've got Johnny playing really well, consistently contributing. Um, I mean to go the to go the other day and and get 16 points on three field goal attempts. I mean that's that's about as efficient as it gets. Uh, and then and then all the other the other the other four that came off you know, the bench so to speak to play all played really well in in one way or another. And that's that's what's going to make KU as dangerous as possible in March. All right, Mike. Final question. Uh, yesterday. John Shire, Bill Self, and some other college basketball leaders called for a ban on court storming in college basketball due to safety concerns and potential legal impacts for athletes and students after what happened over the weekend after the Duke-Wake Forest game. It seems like every year something happens and then this debate comes up, um, but then uh, nothing happens after that. So what what are your uh, what, what's your reaction? What happened over the weekend, and now this uh, uh, this public outcry or outcry from college coaches to ban court storming? Well, what what they should have said, Stephen, all those all those coaches was as Mike DeCourcy has been saying for years. Dot dot dot. <laughs> I mean, I've been on this uh, for probably a decade, 
I've never believed, you know, and you guys know, I mean, we've talked about it a million times, you know, that that I'm a Steelers fan uh, or a Penguins fan or a Reds fan or whatever. And I go to games as a as a fan probably about right now, about as often as I do as a journalist. And And I feel entitled when I do that to celebrate at the seat which I purchased. And that's what I feel entitled to do. I don't feel entitled to be on the field of play. That's not what I paid for. And I, and I don't understand why. You, and this is another argument that I make in favor of my position, okay? When's the last time they stormed at Allen? Like, ever? I don't think it's, it's ever happened in my lifetime. Question. Yeah, okay, so that, I'm right. Okay, so it doesn't happen. But there is no place in college basketball that is better, cooler, more exciting, and more and, and a better atmosphere and a better like feel like you feel like tingly when you go in there. <clears throat> maybe maybe the opposing fans don't, but I think even they do. Into Allen Fieldhouse, and and yet they don't storm the court. So what? Is it, like they're not missing anything. You don't you don't go to Allen for a KU game and say, boy, if only there had been a court storm, this would have been a fulfilling experience. It's just silly, and, and, but it's also silly and dangerous, and, and that's what I don't like about it. I, I, I go back to when I was covering the Cincinnati Bearcats in the 1999-2000 season, my last season on a regular college, uh, team college basketball beat, and, and that year, Kenyon Martin had a player of the year season. He didn't just have a, one of those player of the year seasons where it's like, we got to give it to somebody. It was one of those years that like comes along every 10 or 12 years where that guy is so clearly better than everybody else that there aren't enough trophies to give him. And he never played in the NCAA tournament because he had a fairly innocuous collision with a St. Louis player while he was setting a, setting a screen. His leg, The legs got tangled funny, and he wound up with his leg break, broken in a couple of places. And I, when I saw Caitlin Clark go down, that was my first thought was an inch here or there, and Caitlin Clark doesn't break any scoring records, including Lynette Woodard's, the one that is really out there for a target for her now, uh, not the other one. Lynette Woodard is the one that matters. Um, she wouldn't have broken any scoring records. She, pro- I believe she'll probably go to the WNBA after this, and she wouldn't have, been, you know, she wouldn't have played in the WNBA this summer. I mean, all those things would have been taken away from her because somebody had to be on the floor taking a selfie. Come on. It's just not that important. And it, 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 it's not, it's not as, we, as we've established with Allen, with Mackey Arena and Purdue and many others, it's not essential to the college basketball experience. It's just something that people do because they, because they know they can get away with it and they can put their, their uh, picture on Instagram. Take a picture in the stands and, and put that on Instagram. It looks the same. It really does. Mike DeCourcy has been our guest. Mike, as always, thanks for the time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. That's Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. We'll be back after this on WHP. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810. WHB, thank you so much for joining us. Eli Drinkwitz met with the media yesterday. His spring ball kickoff media session. And today, practice number one of the spring is at 3 o'clock. That's right. 
spring practice, spring ball, let's go. And so here we have some highlights from Eli Drinkwitz's session with the media to kick off spring ball yesterday. Uh, Let's start off with um, his thoughts on hiring a new athletics director. No, I don't think it's a challenge to have somebody new come in. I think it's an opportunity. Um, I think with any situation, it's an opportunity to improve your current condition. If you look at uh, a new person coming in with strengths um, and how they're going to add value to what we're trying to build and what we're trying to accomplish. I would hope by now um, that it's really not about me um, at all. It's about how do we build Mizzou football to last for a long time um, as a premier place to come play college football. And whoever, um, and not only Mizzou football, but Mizzou athletics, you know, I want us to have the best of the best. Um, and that's from facilities to NIL to player uh, development, you know, to raise the standard. We're the single uh, Division One playing football program in the state that has 8 million or so, 11 when you talk about um, surrounding areas. Like, the potential here is endless. And so, for me, uh, an opportunity to work with somebody new um, is just that. It's an opportunity to improve the possibilities. And I would go back to my opening statement, no different than with Desiree, with Coach Baker, with Coach Peoples, Coach Witte, Coach Olson. Um, I valued my time with those people, but it's really not about them anymore. It's about us and what we're doing now on this new journey. And I'm not going to compare what's next with what was previous. It's just, it is what it is. And so, um, no different than Corey Batoon and Brian Early and Coach uh, Jacob. Like, I'm excited about what this will be moving forward and the opportunity that we have to improve our condition. Because make no mistake about it, we got to get better. We got to improve. Um, that's that's the name of the game, right? Nobody's patting ourselves on the back for losing two games last year. I, I know I'm not. I'm trying to figure out how do you not turn the ball over in critical situations, you know, in order to give us a better chance to, to win? How do we stop quarterbacks? How do we, you know, in those two games, we didn't force a turnover. Like, those are things that we got to improve on. And uh, who, whoever and however we can do that, that's what's important to me. All right, here's more from Eli Drinkwitz. Oh, Jake, you like this. You know, we're all excited, or at least I'm excited. I can't speak for you guys, but for uh, EA Sports and the college football game to be coming back, I'm excited. My boys are excited. I'm begging them to let me play. We'll see if they do. Uh, I want to recruit. I want uh, I want to do it all. And so here is Eli Drinkwitz talking about uh, the college football game coming back for EA Sports. I just saw where the top ten playbooks, Missouri's offense wasn't listed, which is absolutely insanity to me. Um, how Kirby Moore's offense isn't listed as top ten offense after going 11-2 with a quarterback who's ranked in the top nine, in the 90s, and I think Luther's got one of the highest rankings on there. And that would make sense that the offense was in the top ten. So, no, I don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> no, I think it's really important for us uh, anytime that we can put in market our brand, 
right? Um, and so if you're going to have EA Sports, it's it's not a complete game unless you tell the story of Mizzou football and, and the players that we have here. And obviously I think it's a great opportunity for our guys to opt in, um, to receive money, receive a free game. You know, I think sometimes it's um, catch-22 when people are saying, well, it's they're not being valued enough compared to what? Compared to not having the game and you're not able to opt in? where now you get an opportunity to be paid and get to play the game for free. So, you know, I think sometimes um, opportunities have to be seized. Um, and as the game increases, then maybe there's opportunities for them to do more with it. But I think it's a great thing for college sports. As a guy who grew up playing college football on Sega Genesis, I'm excited for it to come back, although I don't know how to play on these new game consoles. That's my problem. It's overwhelming for me now. Yeah, it should be very. To me, it was very. It was very simplified. Now it's uh, the gameplay and everything. It's just. It's overwhelming. I can't handle it. Jake, Nate, I just you know. Yeah, I, I play every once in a while. I try to play video games with my son because uh, it's a way to spend time together. And I'm terrible <laughs> because there's just so many. There's so much going on and so much more involved. And more, I mean, Sega Genesis had the the cursor on the left and three buttons on the right, and that was it. Jake, you right. fired up that he brought up Sega Genesis. Yeah, actually. I mean, I still, I, I still own a Sega Genesis. See? I'll you, pull it you, out. You can play the coach. Yeah, next time he's on the, have... on the show, tell him you got one. All right, and that might intrigue him. I mean, no watch college got... football, man. Awesome. But that yeah, Dude. I have that. <laughs> it was great. The ambulance to come out and just start running people over. I'm sorry, I'm 51 years old, but I, I went to play college football with my sons, and I just want to be Luther Burton. Just, just wait. you can do it. He's gonna be a 99. It's got to be a 99. You're going to be sneaking in there when they're sleeping. So. <laughs> well, you know, because they they're, they do it because it was, you know, Richie lives in Independence and Phil's at home, so they're on, you know. Online playing. Kind of, all night I hear them. They spend more time together now <laughs> that they live apart than they did when, you know. That is cool. Well, it'd be, no, it's not, because I can't play. Well, it'd be cooler if I played. Yeah. Then it would be cool. But it's cool that your sons are friends. Well, and you get your own console and you sit in your office. I'd love to. <laughs> just just let me. Just let me. You know, I've got a lot of ideas. I used to always be Heath Schuler in the Tennessee Volunteers when I played Bill Walsh college football. I remember when they do first, a threat. They I'm first started allowing you to like recruit and you oh know. yeah. Well, so you know, I was living with a bunch of guys at the time, and we so we each have our own team, and so we played Madden as well. So we went through a full college football, like, four years, and then we drafted ourselves into Madden because you could import the college players into Dynasty right. Mode Madden. That's exactly and right. back. And this is a game that I will understand and I will appreciate, so yeah, let me play. Uh, here, Eli Drinkwitz talks about that balance uh, between turning the page to the new season but also wanting to build on the success of last season. I think whenever you have enough um, ripples in your organization or brotherhood through changes, it creates a sense of urgency. I know for me personally it has, and I think for our team um, it's done the same thing. I think there's also been that ripple effect of being able to watch um, our players compete in the Senior Bowl and at the Combine, and there's a sense of it's my turn now. 
Uh, it's my opportunity now to go achieve what I've always dreamed about achieving. Um, but they also realized that that didn't just wish to happen. Uh, our, our players that are at the combine or that are getting ready for pro day, they work their butt off for a year. We're completely dedicated and bought into, hey, if I come back this season and dedicate myself, I can put myself in a position to play at an elite level. And you look at the the, the conversations with Darius Robinson right now um, and what he did for his draft stock at the senior Bowl, uh, not only him, but Chris Abrams Drain, Ennis Raystraw, Cody uh, Schrader, you know, Javon Foster, um, Tyron Hopper. These guys are going to continue to rise up the boards because not only have they shown good tape, but they also show good work ethic. And I think our team is seeing that. And whether that's been a commitment to nutrition, um, with Joseph Charleston or a commitment to doing extra, um, with Brady Cook and Luther Burden and Theo Weiss um, or Christian Williams, you're seeing that next wave of leaders and setting the tone for what the standard is. Um, you know, if you get caught around patting yourself on the back for last year, you're going to be really disappointed. And so I don't think uh, anybody is is sitting around staring at the Cotton Bowl trophy. All right. So we'd like for everybody to come celebrate Saturday night at the basketball game for it, but that's not our focus right now. Might I politely correct Eli Drinkwitz? I have sat in my office online sitting around and I have stared at the Cotton Bowl trophy. So, <laughs> and what's wrong with it? Well, I think I like, in your position, that's, a, that's perfectly right. fine. I like to look at it. You mentioned some of those wide receivers. Um, Luther Burden, who arguably will be the best wide receiver in college football next year. Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper. I mean, the wide receivers, that room is loaded. And also Brett Norfleet, who was turned into a huge weapon, a tight end. Brady Cook is going to have a multitude of weapons to throw to. Here, Eli Drinkwitz talks about that wide receiver room and the competition and also the young corners who are looking forward to going up against them in uh, in camp. It's uh, an advantage if we ta- attack it as competition. It's, it's competition versus complacency, and which one are they going to be? And I think that's going to be the challenge for that room is um, are they going to compete every single day to be better, or are they going to be complacent and say when the lights come on, we'll be good enough? Um, look, talk's cheap. You know, it's going to be about who's going to be about that action uh, and the start of one-on-ones. Because I know there's a real hungry group of corners to prove themselves um, every single day in one-on-ones and in combatives. And uh, I know that wide receiver receiver room is going to have to meet that challenge head-on if they're going to have the success that they think they're going to have. Later on in the 9 o'clock hour, maybe we'll play uh, Drinkwood's comments about the staff additions and also... Uh, notable transfers coming in offensively and defensively. I do want to play number one because it's a short clip, and I know Lebo uh, texted in uh, because he said because he's a Kansas City kid, and even though he's transferring away from Oklahoma, he's still a big Caden Green fan, and he wants him to succeed. And I think that's 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 great of Todd to have that attitude. 
You know, he just he wasn't happy in Oklahoma, so he transfers to Mizzou. And Todd says he still throws his ample support behind him because he's a Kansas City kid and wants him to succeed wherever he goes. He wouldn't do that if he was going to Kansas. Well, I'm just telling you what Todd told me, right. and so I think that's uh, that's great. Todd Lebo, thank you, Todd. And so Todd wanted a quick update about Caden Green, uh, and so play that for him uh, if you would, Jake. It begins with Caden Green, offensive tackle from Kansas City, um, coming to us from Oklahoma. He played in 11 games last year, had five starts. As a guy that we think has position flexibility, but will we'll begin the, the uh, spring term as a left tackle. Uh, very excited about his length, speed, uh, athleticism. Also excited about his tenacity. Uh, and it's always fun to see all the talk about him on Twitter. A lot of people fight about him on Twitter, but... No, I don't know if you have seen that. There's people fight about people fighting on Twitter. So I refuse to believe and it. Eli Jenkins thinks it's fun. Uh, we he, will. He's plugged into a lot, isn't he? Sure, he is. Eli, I like that. That's what I need. Yeah. That's what I want. We will. Uh, he sees it all. He just was tweeting out during this segment, so I retweeted. Back after this on Sports Radio 810 WHB. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Do you want Brett Veach? To keep the Chiefs first round pick or trade it? Keep it. What are we trading it for, I guess, before No. Nope, you already killed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep it's it. Over. It's over. Maybe I should hear the whole Yeah, that's a big It's a good question to ask. No. I didn't answer yet. Can you tell me what I'm trading it for? No. Would would you be willing to trade it? First of that, are, is, are yeah. you are you are you open for business? Yeah, I'm open for business. Are you? Sure. Hmm. Well, let the trade rumors begin. We'll have Mark Bowrichter in here. We'll, we'll get his thoughts on it. But I was. Uh, as I do, I was uh, looking through some different things on uh, on Twitter, and apparently Daniel Jeremiah had his uh, his around this time he does like a conference call with different people, different reporters, different radio stations, and they ask him all kinds of questions, right? And the Chiefs came up. And we know that Brett Veach is not afraid to trade a first-round pick for an established veteran in a position of need. Why do we know that? Because he's done that for Frank Clark. He's also done it for Orlando Brown Jr. Okay? So the, the proof is in the pudding. So there's uh, been some buzz out there. And who knows if it's the agent... If it's whoever, right? The buzz could come from anywhere. It could be Mike Florio just making it, making something up. Who knows? Whatever. He, he would never. To, tends to do that. Um, but anywho, a popular name that's uh, floated, been floated, floating around for the Chiefs is former first-round pick Kyle Pitts, who's been underutilized who was underutilized and misused by Arthur Smith in Atlanta. That's why Arthur Smith no longer is the head coach of Atlanta. Can I change my answer? No. Uh, the number, the former number four overall pick in the 2021 draft, 
had 68 catches for over 1,000 yards in his rookie season. And then, shockingly, just they didn't use him. Well, they, they have a few different kind of weapons down there that they didn't use properly. Again, that's why he's gone. And he's still only 23 years old. So there I've teased you. And now when we come back, we'll have Mark Borg here in here to continue the conversation. I'll read to you what Daniel Jeremiah said after he was asked about this. And then we'll see if old Beardy in there will change his tune. <laughs> back after this on WHB.